welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey church, my name is VJ. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at The Well. If you are new or new-ish or haven't been in church in a while, one of the things you probably think about church is you're not allowed to talk there, which is totally not true about our church. You can totally talk at church, in church, during church. So take a moment actually right now with someone who's next to you. Maybe you know know them, maybe you don't. Uh, if you're not sitting next to anyone, maybe move over just to get a little closer to someone else and ask this question uh, of each other. Who do you go to for advice? Like, if you want really good advice, who do you go to? Or you could be more specific uh, for the subject of our conversation today is who do you go to for advice about finances or money? And what question or questions would you ask them? Okay, who do you go to for advice? You don't have to answer all these, but like maybe pick one. But who do you go to for financial advice or money talk? And what kind of questions do you ask them? Take a couple minutes and talk about that together. All right. Well, if you hopefully started a good conversation, you can finish it at the uh, 30 minute party today about who you ask for advice, especially money advice. Um, you know, interesting for me that who like the idea of who you ask for advice and what questions you ask that person are really important. Early on in my uh, kind of business career, um, when I was just starting out, there was someone that I really looked up to that I was asking advice for, you know, how do I build a career? What paths should I take? What jobs do I evaluate? What books should I be reading? And I was getting really good advice from them. But if I had added to that question, and how do I build a career and, you know, be successful, but also build a successful marriage and have a thriving relational and family life... I wouldn't have asked that person because they didn't know how to do that because they weren't able to do that. Who you ask for advice and the questions you ask them are really important. They matter a lot. And this is especially true when it comes to questions about finance, wealth, and possessions. 
right? Don't just ask someone who's been able to afford luxury cars and beautiful villas and great vacations for advice, unless you see the rest of their life and you say, yeah, and I also want that. And I also want that. And I also want that. Look at their whole life before you ask them advice about one piece of their life. Don't just ask someone who's been able to accumulate a great nest egg and retire early for advice on finances and how to do that without seeing and knowing what else they accumulated in life. Where is everything else at? What is the condition of their life going to be like when they retire or as they have retired? Um, don't just ask someone who has um, you know, let's say started a company from their garage and turned it into a, you know, a publicly traded multinational for advice on how to build your business or your idea or um, your wealth, <laughs> unless you know, hey, what do their kids think of them? What do their employees think about them? It doesn't matter just only just what the market thinks of them, but what do all the people in their life think of them? Who have they become in the process of building what they've built? See what I mean? Because I don't know about you. Well, I think this is true about you, but it's true about me. I'm not just trying to be successful in one area of my life. I'm trying to build a life, a whole life that I feel successful in and proud of in every aspect, not just the area of finance and wealth and possessions. So who you ask for advice and what questions you ask them are really important. Which is why the premise of our whole conversation these few weeks um, is to invite Jesus to be the one who gives us advice, to invite him into the conversation, to let him change the way we think and feel about our wealth and possessions. And hopefully if you've been a part of this series so far, those questions, those conversations with Jesus through the passages in scripture and the four biographies that we have of his life are helping you think and rethink and understand yourself and the world and everything better when it comes to finances, to wealth, to money and possessions. The conversation we're going to invite Jesus to have with us today, we're actually listening in on a conversation he had, and it was a story he told. Actually, it was a fictitious story. It's called a parable. It's a, it's a financial um, fable about wealth and possessions. And it's really about who do you ask for advice and what is the right question to ask? And I want you to listen as Jesus talks about that very thing. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Look at right off the top, one of the problems with this story for us as we listen is um, we might think that this has nothing to do with us. 
Um, and part of the reason for that is the way that this parable or this story is named in most of our Bibles. In most of our translations, um, and the one that was read for us here in the New Living or uh, New International Version, the head of this says, the rich fool, <laughs> which we go, oh, that's not me, right? Those are two words that we, none of us would say, oh, that doesn't describe me. Many of us, most of us would not say, no, I'm not, I'm not rich. Like I'm definitely not rich. Rich is like a word. It has negative connotations, first of all. So we don't like that idea, but it would describe like the Sultan of Brunei or Richard Branson or some billionaire, which is not me. I'm not rich. Right. And so we'd think, oh, this has nothing to do with me. What about that? Yeah. This, this guy, he was rich. He had problems, but not me. I'm not rich. And none of us think we're fools, right? No, nobody wants to say that. And so we just think, oh, this is nothing to do with me. This is about that rich fool in the Bible, but not me. The other word that's problematic for us, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago, is the word greed that shows up here in this passage. And none of us like to think we're greedy and nobody is like, no, no, I don't, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not that kind of a person. I'm not money hungry, money grabbing, all of that kind of stuff. But a couple of weeks ago, we defined the word greed in, in more simple terms and probably broadly applicable terms. It is the desire for more. Greed is the desire for more. And that is the subject of this parable. And in fact, if I can add a definition to it, that really makes sense in the context of this story that we're listening to from Jesus today. Greed is the desire for more or having or wanting extra. Extra, right? Greed isn't this, I want to be a billionaire. Greed is just wanting more or the desire, or even in this case, possessing or having extra more than we need. And Jesus says, before he kind of tells this leader, this uh, financial fable, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He's warning his listeners saying, be careful, watch out. There's uh, so many different ways that we can want to have extra, like the desire for more, or suddenly find ourselves with extra. And he's actually saying, be careful if you suddenly realize you have extra, not just the desire for more, but be careful if you actually have more than you need. If you have extra, be careful. He's warning his listeners. Why? Uh, is Jesus just kind of a minimalist and say, like, oh, be afraid of money. Money is a bad thing. Get away from it. It's better to be poor. It's better to have nothing or whatever. Is that what he's saying? That's not Jesus' mentality. He actually really tells us why we have to be careful of having a bit more. And this is so powerful. This is the verse that sets up how we're going to listen to the story he's about to tell. So don't miss this. He says, here's the reason he's warning them to be careful about wanting extra or suddenly having extra more than we need. Because he says in verse 15, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now let's just camp out on this word for a minute because this is such a profound statement. When he says the word life, and you've heard me say this before, but the Greeks, and, and, and you read in the New Testament, there's three different words that you can see in the Greek language that are used for life. One is the word suke, or where we get psyche, or that, that often is translated in English as soul. Another one, which is actually used later in this passage. Another one is bios, which is where we get, you know, biology. This is like, that refers to life as like physicality, is breathing. <laughs> but the word here, when Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, is the word zoe. Zoe doesn't mean physicality, it means vitality. 
life as in I feel alive, vitality, purpose, meaning, joy, satisfaction. When someone's, you know, when you kick back on a chair in the sun by the pool and you say, oh, this is the life. You don't mean this is the, I'm breathing right now on the chair. You're like, no, this is living, right? And when the French say the joie de vivre, that's what they mean. This is really living. You're like, that's living. Or I feel so alive. We're not talking about physicality, we're talking about vitality. We're talking about Zoe. Isn't that what we all want, right? That's what we want, to feel alive on the inside out of persistent, consistent vitality, satisfaction, dynamism on the inside of us that allows us to experience life as it was meant to be, life to the full. And sometimes even the word eternal is put in front of this word in the language and teachings of Jesus, as in a never-ending source of vitality. Isn't that what we all want? And listen to what Jesus says. He says that life, that Zoe, what you all want, does not consist in, or in other words, has nothing to do with the abundance of possessions. And... The word abundance, lest we just think that means an extravagant amount. Do you know what it means? It means extra, additional, or more than you need. This is so powerful. Jesus is taking two things that we always put together and decoupling them and saying, hey, vitality, Zoe, has nothing to do with having extra possessions, money, wealth which is the exact opposite of what we are being told all the time, right? If you want to be really like, oh, you got to be able to travel to this part of the world. You have to have a job that affords you the incredible kind of luxuries. Or, you know, if you want to feel alive, you have to have hair that looks like this and you have to have skin well into your 50s and 60s that's soft and perfect and looks young. And you have to be able to afford this or live in such a, such a place or be able to take multiple degrees or whatever it is, anything that wealth can afford you or possessions or a status in life or just you have to be able to know you can retire young and really live your life. Freedom 55. That's what life is. That's what we're being told all the time. And Jesus says, no, these two things have no connection. <laughs> life to the full has no connection, inherent connection to the abundance of possessions or extra or having more than enough. And so we need to see the story that Jesus is about to tell as explaining to us what life to the full is really about. Where does Zoe come from? If it's not tied to this um, having an abundance of possessions, of clothing, of wealth, of food, of experiences or travel or retirement, or, you know, we said a few weeks ago, right? How money means different things to us. For some of us, it means control. For some of us, it means security. For some of us, it means enjoyment. Um, it means different things to, to each of us. And those things are often things that we tie. We say, oh, if I can get this wealth, if I can get this amount, then I will have enjoyment. Then I will have security. Then I will have identity. This tells me who I am. Then I will have control over my life. And Jesus is actually saying, no, <laughs> life to the full does not consist in how much you have or what you have or extra or the abundance of possessions. These two things have no connections. So let's listen to the story that he begins to tell to illustrate this very point. And he says, there's a farmer who is already wealthy. He's already rich, which means he has more than enough, who has a bumper crop. All of a sudden, there's a huge harvest and he has a ton of extra. 
This is the repeated theme in this parable, extra. That's what the word abundance means. That's what greed means. The desire for more or having more, more than you need or extra. And suddenly this person who already had more than enough suddenly gets even more, even wealthier, even richer. He had everything he need, needed and then he got more. And listen, when this happened, he asked the wrong person the wrong question. He asked the wrong person for advice and he asked them the wrong question and it ends very poorly for this man. Who did he ask the question to about what he should do? <laughs> he asked the wrong person. He asked himself, <laughs> right? It says, he said to himself, what should I do with all this extra? What should I do with all this extra? He asked himself. Now, as North American people, we're like, well, of course he asked himself. Because we believe that you are the one that has the right, the sole right to do whatever you want with your life. Hey, I don't need to ask anybody for advice. I mean, I can get some input, but ultimately it's up to me. This is my life. This is my money. These are my decisions, my autonomy. Nobody can tell you what to do. That is the mantra of the 21st century Western person. We built this continent on the basis of individual rights and freedoms, and nobody can take that away from you. So we go, yeah, of course you asked yourself, but here's the problem. Here's why he asked the wrong person for advice, why he asked himself. <laughs> Ready? You have known to be wrong before. You've been known to be wrong, haven't you? I've been known to be wrong before, right? Think about this. Like, we don't have to share stories, but every one of us, I think every one of us in this room could remember a time when we were sure we knew what we were doing when we were sure we were right about the decision we were making, when we were sure we were thinking about it clearly, when we were sure we were seeing it clearly, when we were sure this was the right decision, we were sure this was the right person, when we were sure this is the right path, and we were sure this is the best thing, and it turned out to be wrong, right? We've all had at least one experience of that in your life, and if some of you are like, nope, I've never been wrong, just ask the person you're married to, or family or friends, they will tell you, right? We know this. We have, I have deceived myself before. I have tricked myself. I have given me bad advice. I have talked me into something I shouldn't have. I have talked me out of something I shouldn't have. I have deceived me before. I have lied to me before. I am not the best person to ask for advice. And this person, this rich uh, person, asked the wrong person for advice. And that's why he's called a fool. See, he wasn't stupid. The word fool doesn't mean you dummy. I mean, we use it maybe like that, but that's not what it meant in the ancient world. So not what it meant in first century Greco-Roman culture. It is not what it means in biblical literature. He wasn't stupid. He, and in fact, he didn't do anything wrong. He was just like the, the crop just, he didn't steal from some, he wasn't a bad person. But what does it mean that he was a fool? A fool is someone who ignores or forgets or lives as if there is no God. Someone who is completely ignorant of or lives as if there is no God. <laughs> he doesn't invite God into the conversation. He never thought to ask God what he should do with all of his wealth. That's why he's a fool. He asked the wrong person. <laughs> he should have asked God. He should have asked him for advice, not himself. And he asks the wrong question. He just sort of assumes um, that 
this is for him and it's up to him. And he's like, okay, well, what should I do with all of this? How am I going to make room for my extra? That's the problem he's trying to solve. That's the question. He's like, oh, I have all this. I don't have room for it. My barns are full. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big build more so I can just have all of this space. He asked, he didn't ask the right person the right question. He needed to ask God what he should do. And here's the question he should have asked. <laughs> Why do I have extra? Why do I have extra? He assumed it was up to him and it was all for him, right? So he didn't ask God anything and he never thought to ask, wait, why do I have extra? He was just scheming for how to keep it, how to build bigger barns. And he's a fool. And Jesus says, why? He says, in the end, tonight, in fact, this very night, Jesus says, God says to him, your life will be demanded from you. And God asks him the haunting rhetorical question. Now who will get what you have saved up or kept for yourself? The rhetorical answer is someone else. It's not yours anymore. All of this striving and planning and scheming, you tried to keep it. You were a fool for doing that. You didn't take God into account. You tried to hang on to it. And now you're gone and it's gone. What is Jesus' point? Is he trying to shame people and, you know, like, you dummy, you fool, like, you, you shouldn't have done that. You, like, Jesus doesn't shame us for that. <laughs> He's trying to make a point, and his point comes in the very last line of this parable. He says, this is how it will be, verse 21, this is how it will be for everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. It says people who don't ask the right person the right question, in the end, they kind of lose life, lose vitality, right? This is the, the secret. You don't get the vitality, the fullness, the joy, the satisfaction, and whatever you had that you thought was the source of that is gone. Jesus says, this is how it will be for everyone who stores up things for themselves, tries to get through the extra, through the more, the abundance of possessions, tries to get life, and is not rich towards God. And we think, oh, to be rich towards God means like, like God is this sort of, this sounds like, you know, sinister evil God who just wants to take our money from us. And is that who he is? Or is he like Caesar in the Roman Empire, which was what the listeners that Jesus were, was around, like what they saw, they saw the empire. They saw the Roman empire that taxed them over 90% that just stole their money. And is that who God is? Does he mean when he says, oh, be rich towards God, you're supposed to, you should have given God money. Is that what this is? Which we know, like that's absurd. And in fact, so many times in scripture, God says, I don't need your money. I own everything. I don't need you, right? God does not need our our grain. He doesn't need food, shelter, clothing, a bed, a roof over his head. He doesn't need TFSAs. He doesn't need RSPs. God doesn't need anything. So what is Jesus getting at when he says, this is how it will be. In a sense, you lose life. If you are not rich towards God, what does it mean to be rich towards God? It's actually a play on words. It's a double meaning that wraps up this whole story that we see continual they um, threw out to be rich towards God. The word rich translated here from Greek, the Greek word is plusios and plusios means get this full, full. And that's been a recurring theme through this whole passage, right? Life 
this fullness of Zoe or life to the full. That's what often eternal life means. Fullness, this rich person, grain, food, um, the idea of being rich or plusus means you have enough. You are full. You have everything you need. And what he's saying is you were, you failed. This person failed to be rich towards God, which first means to be full of God, to be rich in God is actually another way you could translate this right? Because God doesn't need money. It means he failed to be rich in God, to be full of not just grain and possessions and food and wealth, but to have God in him, that the true fullness, the vitality, the Zoe life comes from having God live on the inside of you, knowing God, loving God, experiencing his love, having a closeness with God and a fullness in him and allowing him to shape your life. Those conversations, he said, all of that is what true richness in God is. That's the double meaning. That's the first part. The second one is, and to be rich towards others. And this is the subtext in this whole parable that is not obvious to us, would have been, but would have been very obvious to Jesus' listeners. See, this man, in getting this bumper crop, all this extra grain, and deciding to store it for later, was not so that he would have food for later. He already had everything. He was a farmer. He sold grain to people who needed food. And now that there was this bumper crop and there's a whole bunch of grain available, why doesn't he sell it? Why doesn't he think, oh, I could sell all the extra? Because there's tons of it. Here's economics 101, right? When there's a surplus of something, the price goes down, right? So he would have sold it for not much money. So what does he do? I'm going to save it for later. And that's why he says, hey, I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm good for years to come because later on when there's a famine or when there's less grain, I can sell what I have at a high profit. So not only was he not rich towards others in terms of just giving some of the extra he had away, he was keeping it so he could make more profit from people who needed to buy it from him later. <laughs> and this was why he's called a fool. You didn't invite God into the story. You weren't full of God. You don't have the life of God in you and vitality and fullness that comes from knowing him. And you failed to be rich towards others, generous towards others, compassionate towards others. Instead, you're trying to make more and get more, even at the expense of other people who need it. That's why Jesus says, you're a fool. You're going to die tonight. And all that stuff you were saving for yourself is going to go to somebody else anyway. Someone else is going to get, and you missed out on being rich, truly rich, full of God, rich in God, and rich towards other people. Friends, the secret to life, fullness, life to the full, is asking God, asking the right person the right question God, why do I have extra? How do I actually have your vitality, your life, your purposes, your love fill me up? How do I get filled up on the inside with what really can only fill me, the life with you and love from you? And how do I be rich towards others? I mean, I ask God, God, why do I have extra? And He would say, Give it away to find riches, true riches and life and vitality and purpose and meaning and satisfaction in me and in being generous towards others. And friends, this is as relevant to us today as it was to these listeners 2000 years ago, because we have abundance. We have abundance. Many of us would say, no, I don't have abundance. Like that doesn't care. To, I, my life isn't full of possessions and wealth. I don't make truckloads of money. No, remember, the definition of abundance is having 
extra. And so judging by, you know, if, if, if extra is more than what we need, can I just say this? If you have two shirts, two pants, and two shoes, and you have more than that, you have extra, right? You have more than you need, right? Because if you spill mustard on one shirt, you can wear the other one while you're washing it. It's the winter time, so you probably need something in the winter and a pair of shoes in the summer. But if you have more than two shirts, two pants, and two shoes, you have extra. If you have a little bit of money to be able to buy coffee, outside at Tim Hortons or Starbucks or wherever, if you can order in from time to time, or if you can go out even occasionally, even as a treat, you have extra. If you have a several hundred dollar phone in your pocket that you recently or in the last couple of years upgraded, not because the one you had was broken, but because it was just obsolete or whatever, you, 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 it still worked perfectly well, but you traded in for a better one, you have extra. Friends, Judging by most of the standards in the world, we, most of us, have extra. We have more than we need. And if we ask the right person the right question, we can start to see the extra we have as something to be given away in order to find that life and fullness and richness in God and in being generous towards others. Right? When we start to see, we ask the right person the right question. Why do I have extra? God will say to give it away, to be rich in God, to be rich in me, to let me fill those things. Part of the reason we feel an emptiness spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally in our lives is we're constantly trying to fill it with stuff that never satisfies. And the more you try to fill it with stuff that never satisfies, the more disappointed we are, the more um, frustrated we are, the more hopeless we can get until we find that God is the source of true fullness, true joy, vitality, zoe, satisfaction. When we find we have him, we don't feel like we need as much of the other stuff and we are able to give it away. And when we give it away, we actually find even more life, even more richness. In fact, if you go and look at my friend, Arthur Brooks, that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he's not my friend. He's not who I am, but he's doing amazing research on this. He literally even has found the research that you will actually even get wealthier the more you give. He said, the, he said, this is what statistics prove. The people who give a lot, they have more satisfaction and happiness and peace in their life. They're less anxious and therefore more people want to hire them. More people want to work with them. More people want to hear from them. They get more opportunities. They end up getting more wealthy because literally giving away gives them true vitality in life. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. Jesus' point is there's no connection between the vitality and the abundance of possessions. And so when you ask him the right person, the right question, and we start to give and to be rich, to be full of God, to empty ourselves of the stuff that can never fill us up, to be filled with God and to be filled with the generosity that comes from God, right? When we experience God's generosity, it turns us into generous people. Jesus says, that's where life is found. Vitality for ourselves and for future generations. One of the most important things I ever heard a pastor say in a sermon was challenge the notion and he was talking to parents, challenge the notion that the best thing you could leave for your kids is a financial nest egg. It's not. The best thing you could leave for your kids is modeling a life that is full of God, richness, the satisfaction, the joy that comes from him and a life that is generous towards others. It's a legacy of a life well-lived that is the best thing you can leave for your kids, even if the inheritance dollar-wise is zero. I'm going to get a whole bunch of angry emails from kids, but this is what I'm saying. He said, challenge the notion. 
Jesus says, no connection between these two things. Life comes from being full of God and being rich towards others. So here's my one question for you or encouragement to you. Ask your advisor. I'm talking about that guy. Ask God, right? Invite him into the conversation and ask him this, God, why do I have extra blank? Whatever's in that blank. It may be just a little bit of extra money. You're asking him why. In other words, what do you want me to do with my extra, right? The rich fool never asked, what, is, what does God want him to do with his extra? He assumed it was up to him and he assumed it was all for him. And that's what made him a fool. When we ask God, what do you want me to do? Or why do I have extra blank? It could be extra clothing. It could be extra space in your home. It could be a car you don't use that often that you could lend to someone who has to take public transport all the time. It could be um, you know, money that you were saving up for a vacation that you could give to someone else. It could be coffee money that you spend. And you say, you know what? Instead of getting coffee every day, I'm going to buy coffee for everyone at the office once a week. Like, What does it mean, God? Why do I have extra this, whatever it is? And allow him to begin to change your thinking and shape your conversation and to fill you with his presence and his life and his vitality, that you are rich in him, full of God and rich towards others. Ask your advisor, why do I have extra blank? And then you can, there'll be some actually tangible opportunities to do something with that extra. Later on today, you're going to hear about our fundraising goal for our Live on Mission week this year, where we are going to try to raise $13,500 for the Kids in Crisis Center in Guinea, West Africa. Um, Lizette's going to be here in a couple weeks, and she's an international worker from Canada who lives there and runs this center. And that $13,500 is going to cover all the tuition fees, school supplies, and lunches for all the kids at the center, and school supplies for the kids at 28 other orphanages that she's connected to in Conakry, the capital of Guinea. And so we're trying to raise money for that and an additional $15,000 for our three partners that are our local partners in Bolton, in King City, and Vaughn. We can give them $5,000 each. So our total fundraising goal is $28,500. That's what we're trying to do. And that can come maybe from some of the extra that you have or redirecting something, whether it's coffee money or vacation money or just something you realize, no, I, I don't actually need this. Friends, all of this happens and only happens, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of fear, but when we receive the generosity of God. When we realize, as the scriptures say, that God didn't even hold back his son from us. If God gave us his son, his most precious son, how will he not also, along with Jesus, give us everything that we need? That God has been rich towards us when we receive his generosity. We are able to be generous people. And so that's why we're actually going to take a moment now in our services and celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which is the enduring symbol of the generosity of God to us, that God has been rich to you and me in giving us his son, Jesus.